Welcome to a podcast by Grantmakers in the Arts, a national association of public and private arts and culture funders. I'm Sherilyn Seely, GIA's program manager. This is our second program of the Grantmakers in the Arts 2019 Narrative Change Series, and we are glad you joined us today. GIA is a community of practice with a shared vision of investing in arts and culture as a strategy for social change. One of the major issues we are exploring is dominant or mainstream narratives that continue to live on and perpetuate racialized practices and outcomes. With a system that is not broken, but rather structured intentionally to foster inequitable and unjust outcomes, the need for narrative change is more urgent now than ever. To paraphrase the words of journalist Ella Saltmarsh, narrative change involves collaboration across differences, and brings together actors with very different positions to re-envision the goals of a system and to change it. In this Narrative Change podcast, we are glad to welcome special guest Zeba Rahman, Senior Program Officer for the Building Bridges Program, an extension of the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art. We also have special guests of the film, The Secret History of Muslims in the U.S., which is funded by the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art. So extra special welcome to Josh Seftel, the filmmaker and also creator of the Secret Life of Muslim series, Hussein Rashid, adjunct faculty member in the Department of Religion at Barnard College, who focuses his research on Muslim and American pop culture, Nagin Farsad, Iranian-American writer and comedian who you can find on Netflix, HBO, and other media platforms, and our very own Nadia Lokta, Deputy Director of Gritmakers in the Arts, who will be facilitating this conversation. Nadia. Why don't you let us know what we're going to discuss today? Thanks, Sherilyn. I'm really glad we're having this conversation, which is personally quite important to me. The Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art has been engaging in narrative change work through partnerships with communities, artists, culture bearers, scholars, and even comedians, and have been getting creative with their methods for shifting narratives and culture as a strategy towards equity. One of the more recent projects funded by the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art was the film, as Sherilyn mentioned, The Secret History of Muslims in the U.S., which brings together a film director, scholar, comedian, and grantmaker who tell stories, experiences, and little-known facts about Muslims in the U.S. We are glad to have them here participating in GIA's Narrative Change series, and without further ado, let's dive in. Zeba, I would actually like to start with you. If you could ground us a bit in this conversation, can you tell us what narrative change means in your work? So the way that we think about this question is this, the stories that we tell ourselves and those around us shape our thinking, and those narratives inform our cultural environment, our cultures. So when new narratives are introduced into our environment, they provide opportunities for us all to reflect on the perspectives that we already hold. And to realign them if we're persuaded by the storyteller. Therefore, stories hold immense power to create change. And that's why the Building Bridges program at the foundation is so interested and so committed to telling stories, to lift up issues and to address them through communication, which is really what story is and what the arts are so good at. 
I couldn't agree more. In thinking about the series, we talked about storytelling as one of the oldest forms of cultural expression and how it seems to always be the method of communication. I think, Zeba, you even shared with us in an earlier call something that Joan Didion said, we tell stories to live, is something that really speaks to sort of the more than transactional nature, right, of storytelling and how this is such an integral part of who we are as, as humans. Can you tell us how narrative change strategy shows up uh, in your grant making or informs your practice at Building Bridges program? So the mission of the Building Bridges program is to advance relationships and increase understanding between American Muslims and their neighbors, the, uh, those who are in the broader community, and that's for mutual well-being. Uh, so we support projects that use stories to create engagement, to create relationships and connections um, and interactions to between Muslims and the, the broader non-Muslim community because our social fabric is so frayed, particularly now, that um, stories will, will and do help to knit communities back stitch by stitch. I love what you said um, as you were introducing it, sort of this journey that you've been on that the goal of this is mutual well-being, that this is a part of our, our well-being for all of us. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak a little, to, a little bit about how you began to work with Hussein and perhaps how his perspective speaks towards that goal of mutual well-being. Hussein is a key advisor to the Building Bridges program because he not only uh, is a scholar of comparative religion and Islam in particular, but also is a studier of culture and particularly popular culture. We as a program realized that what we needed to do is lift up how the arts and media help to communicate about Islamophobia and to share another perspective. And this was in 2017, we realized we needed to share it with our peer funders. And so we created a symposium and partnered with the Ford Foundation and New York Community Trust and Art Place America, New York University's Bradamus Center, New York Foundation, as well as Philanthropy in New York to hold this um, funder briefing and Hussein was invited to be the keynote and his presentation was so popular and Michael Rode who was one of the moderators and is a performing artist himself and has a civic action lab that uses theater to tell stories said Zeba why don't we cut the live stream that you had that New York University was recording into smaller bite-sized uh, sections so that we can share it. And one thing led to another, and we decided that we were going to actually commission Smarty Pants Productions to create a couple of short-form videos that used Hussein's presentation to tell the story of uh, Muslim contributions to the building of America and to shape culture. That's how it started. So it was an evolution in thinking, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was thinking to go into the NYU video production room, sit down with the editors and cut down the live stream. 
But Ed Henry, our CEO, had a bigger idea. And he said, well, why don't you work with Josh Seftel and his team? They tell the stories so well. And I remember thinking, I thought that it was going to be well beyond the Building Bridges budget. But Ed thought I should try talking to Smarty Pants anyway. And Josh and his team were so generous. So here we are. I have to credit my CEO, Ed Henry, with not even questioning that decision and allowing us to go straight ahead. And I just want to highlight here, she managed to bring together a really great group of people, right? Uh, A group of funders in the room, uh, a group of people who are thinking about these, because being in the field is very different than being a, a researcher or a thinker in this field. And bringing together thinkers and doers and funders to be able to generate this and listening to that feedback to create something, to get these stories out there. And for me, following Zeba's lead was thinking about, well, what is the story we need to tell? What are, there is not a story of America. There are stories of America. And so how do we tell these other stories? So not only are these stories known, but we're also more comfortable with the idea that there are multiple stories of what it means to be American, because there are multiple stories of America. I think that's really important, and I think very deeply tied to this question of mutual well-being is, you know, what are the stories or stories we need to tell? From sort of your telling, Zeba, and stemming from your work, Hussein, this this project became an animated short film that's narrated in conversation by you, Hussein, a scholar, and you, Nagina, a comedian. And, you know, it was up on New York Times website um, and had, had a really big showing. You know, we see the end product. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the process Sure. So we were already working on a project with Zeba, as she had mentioned, called The Secret Life of Muslims, which is a digital series that we do, which is essentially a platform for American Muslims to tell their stories. And it was something I was really interested in as Jewish American who had faced anti-Semitism growing up. I was very interested in thinking about ways to confront Islamophobia. And so that's where the birth of that series came about. And we had been making these short films and Zeba and Doris Duke had been supporting them. And so when she came to me with this idea and she shared uh, Hussein's lecture with me, I I was really excited, um, felt that it was such great information and material. And as, as someone had said earlier in the conversation, filled with little known facts that I thought were really exciting to share and that people would be surprised by. And so I, I was, you know, my mind was spinning with ideas about how to, how to tell this, this story in an interesting way. And um, Hussein, as you can hear, is really dynamic and fun to listen to. When we decided on the animation approach, we thought like, who's the, like, who's the funniest person around? <laughs> Easy that answer. We could, that, we could, <laughs> <laughs> that we could pair with you know, that we could pair with him. And, and um, Nagin Farsad was an obvious choice. <laughs> You're <laughs> too kind, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, you know, we, so the idea was, um, you know, we knew sort of the bullet points. We knew the, the material we wanted to cover, but I didn't want to script it. I didn't want it to be, um, you know, preordained and too overly planned. And so, we really just um, let uh, 
Hussein and Nagin talk and have a conversation. And that was really the, the beginnings of the creative process of, of turning this into a film. Well, I think that I think the end product captures that, you know, as um, has have, since I was not in the recording room and I can only experience it from the outside. Uh, I, we hear the excitement about having this conversation. And I, I'm wondering, Nagin, from your perspective, if you could tell us a little bit about your excitement or your energy in joining, joining in this team that, you know, we've heard a bit of the how we got here portion, but can you take us a little bit inside your process in working with Hussein and also tell us a little bit about your role as a comedian in our current landscape and how you use that as a way to sort of shift from the starting point of Islamophobia as a topic of a keynote in 2017 to now? Yeah, I've been working on Islamophobia for years now. Um, it's, it's like bigotry uh, is one of those just evergreen topics um, in American culture. <laughs> yeah, we're so lucky. We get to just keep talking about it in debunking it. Um, you know, I had traveled the country performing in in red states and blue states and purple counties and um, just all over the place. I, you know, I made a movie called The Muslims Are Coming, uh, you know, that came out in 2014 that tried to take down Islamophobia. It's just like an endless task. And so, you know, I'm on board whenever someone wants to jump in on that issue. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and especially when they want to use comedians, which is, I think, definitely, especially in the like in the grant world not popular like in all of the work that I've ever done like to get any kind of grant support has been really really difficult because comedy is just not viewed that way you know what I mean it's not viewed as a high art and so I think it's really brave when people do fun stuff that includes comedy and that, you know, where there might be a joke that might upset a couple of people but it might make 99% of people laugh, you know, so that's what kind of makes comedy risky, I think, for some of these like organizations. Um, so I probably had the easiest job of them all because Hussein came in with the facts and the knowledge and I got to just riff and write jokes like off of um, stuff that, that I didn't even know. I didn't know the Statue of Liberty was based on an Egyptian woman. Yes. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but of course, and like, and that explains her nose you know so like I I feel like the the fun for me is literally bridging a piece of information that may otherwise be you know kind of um, sequestered in the world of academia and making it accessible to people and and it, like does that mean I sometimes end up talking about chipotle burritos in the process yes sometimes it means that you know what I mean like but that's kind of uh the joy of these things for me and like the joy of being able to um to work with people like Hussein and Josh that bring like a breadth of knowledge and and um technical acumen to the process and I remember one of the things that we talked about when because we you know, it's sort of hard when you you were coming into the room and you knew a lot of the um a lot of the, you knew at least some of the information that we were going to be covering. And so, you know, you're supposed to be, in, in a sense, a proxy for the viewer, right? Um, and so we had to figure out how you should be, how you should, you know, who you were as a persona in that moment. 
this this film now sits in a larger landscape in an ecosystem of cultural knowledge um, and you know thinking about what Zeba shared with us at the beginning um, you know mutual well-being as a goal of this work I'm wondering how did this approach blending at comedy and animation and dialogue and history alongside the the foundation of of a foundation, um, what do you think is the influence this has on the way the work is received? I mean, f for me, I, I can say that this kind of information, like people, people like hearing stuff and learning it and then being interesting at a cocktail party. And like, that sounds kind of simple and stupid, but at the same time, it's like if someone saw this video and then said later at a cocktail party, did you know this first mosque was in Cedar Rap Rapids, Iowa, whatever, that ends up becoming a, a way that the information is spread but is that person likely to see a keynote you know what I mean I think that it's just being able to present information this way makes it a lot more accessible and inviting as we've mentioned and I feel like it's about you know being welcoming for everybody and like right now we're in this really tense rage-filled internet space um, and to I think it's really important to put pieces out that don't uh, exacerbate that and that don't, you know, lean into that in any way whatsoever. And so that's where the, the bridge building really happens um, is if we can like add to the conversation without adding to the rage. And I think part of that conversation and what really worked was, you know, here is Zabel listening to a group of people saying, this is what we found interesting about this talk. I am a scholar, I'm an academic, I'm used to presenting in a particular mode, which is speaking and talking to people. Um, maybe not at, maybe not with, but somewhere in the middle. Um, and Josh really thinking about, well, who's our audience here? How do we get people engaged with this? And I think that's sort of thinking about what is the story we want to tell? Uh, what are our again, speaking as an educator, what are our learning objectives? And Josh really thinking about, well, this is the way to deliver that in a way that is going to be sticky with people, I think was a really great collaborative conversation. And can I just add that since, you know, I've been public facing about this stuff and just being a comedian, you know, for years now, in the beginning, I think it was really hard for like Muslims to get on board with what I was doing because for some conservative Muslims, as is the case for conservative Jews and conservative Christians, it's just like not entirely appropriate for a woman to go mouthing off on stage. You know what I mean? And um, and that's just like what my entire career was based on was like being a woman mouthing off on stage, right? And um, and so I got a lot of pushback. I got a lot of pushback from people, and I think we we've really seen a cultural shift. At least me, I feel like I've seen a cultural shift from Muslims who may have been like, you're shameful and we don't want you talking about being a Muslim because it's, you know, inadvertently representing us and that's not, and we don't want it to now. I feel like there's more like, Oh my God, thanks for doing that. And maybe your comedy isn't for me. Uh, but you're, you're able to speak this, like this larger American language. And we appreciate that you're trying to communicate something about us to this in this larger American language and I feel like that shift has kind of taken place and hey the political uh, tides have obviously like <laughs> pushed that along uh, but um, I, I feel like it's 
like just acceptance from my own community has grown over the years. And I'm so heartened to see it. I think that's a, a great way of framing it, Nagin. Um, I think for me, whenever I do this work is thinking about who am I responsible to in doing it? Obviously, I'm responsible to the people I'm working with and for, but if I'm telling a story of a religious community, both as a scholar and as somebody who has the privilege of having this platform, is do people from that community or those communities, will they recognize some part of themselves in the stories I'm telling? You know, I have that responsibility as well. And it's not going to be 100% because we have, a, you know, a million stories to tell. But do people feel like at least they have some foothold in that? I think on the academic side, uh, particularly uh, amongst my peers who do work in contemporary Islam, we really don't have a choice but to be public facing at this point. That is outside of uh, the academy uh, to talk about Islam, to talk about the relationship with race and gender and sexuality it has in American history at this moment. Um, I got a lot of great, great feedback from my community of scholars, both, you know, having me try to explain the process of doing work like this because it is a balance trying to be accessible while trying to be academically honest and being able to support the work that we're doing um, and feedback on how to make it better on the next iteration of this, which has just been invaluable. You know, I think enough of us are doing this work that it really is a community of support now that we can critique each other's work, but in a way to push us all to be better rather than to try to tear each other down. So that's been really gratifying as well to get that feedback from my professional community, but also from my religious community to say, yes, we're, we're here with you and we see ourselves here too. Thank you both so much for sharing that. Uh, both Hussein and Nagin, you, you captured something that, you know, really stuck with me, which is um, sort of seeing a, a transformation in the narratives of your own circles, you know, and seeing seeing a shift happening in, in you know, a relatively short period of time, if we consider human history, um, it is encouraging. And I, I think that's an important part of what helps motivate this work moving forward. And if I can, I'd love to bring us back to Zeba for a second um, as we wrap, wrap up and thinking about the risks that you're taking, Zeba, within uh, your position at a foundation. Um, you took a risk with this project, and I'm wondering how can other funders address questions and fears when it comes to building trust and investing or committing to long-term relationships um, with community and with the mission of, of the Doris Duke you know, family? You're absolutely right. We did take a risk. We had a lot of um, trust and belief in everybody involved in the project. So that carried us. And, you know, it allowed us to really tell Ed Henry about the project and, and the choices we made. So, you know, that and plus also... Uh, I really thought that Nagin and Hussein's talent to carry the story, that their ability to tell it in an informal conversational style would really hook us all and anybody who heard, who saw the piece and, and experienced it. So there were a lot of positives going into it. And I would say, yes, it was a risk, but it was not that much of a, a risk or a stretch for us. And in terms of being a funder plus, I mean, we really believe in rolling up our sleeves and being in a learning commons with our grantees, with our advisors, with academics, with the artists. And this belief is what we carry forward in different ways. And, and, and other funders, we're 
big years, constantly learning, and we never really think about hierarchy in any way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. In embarking upon this narrative change series this year, uh, someone shared with me this phrase that's echoing in my mind as we're all having this conversation, that change happens at the speed of trust. And I think the idea of our futures are mutually tethered and that new narratives offer an opportunity to reflect on our own perspectives and consider ourselves as a part of the way that we look at the world and what we believe um, is happening and, and who has the right to self-determination and to be represented in history, I think is really important. I want to thank you all for sharing your experience and making this project and your ongoing work together around narrative change and considering the history and the present experiences of Muslims in the United States. Um, I'm really glad that there's a community of support that seems to be continuing to grow around this work. And I think there are many stories to tell, and I'm certainly glad this is one of them that we can reference. Sherilyn, I'll pass it to you. All right. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you, Zeba, Josh, Hussein, and Nagin for that dynamic and exciting conversation. I think this one is the one with the most laughs, so I think that's really exciting. <laughs> So all of you who are listening, be sure to visit our website for more GIA narrative change series programming and resources. And if you have any questions about this podcast or upcoming programming, feel free to reach out to me, Sherilyn Seeley, at Sherilyn at GIArts.org, or visit our website, GIArts.org. Be sure to tune in to our next program of the series, the Narrative Change Twitter chat on August 8th. So be sure to follow Grantmakers in the Arts on Twitter and Facebook at GIArts. Thanks so much for listening.